0: You're listening to Across Culture, the podcast which explores culture, identity and the Christian faith. I'm your host, Jesse. So this episode is with Temi Tope Taiwo, and I'm so excited that he's decided to appear on this podcast because actually he's one of the first people who really encouraged me to do this when I was telling him about some of the ideas that I have for Across Culture. So this is the interview with Temi enjoy so hi temi thanks so much for being here for your time um could you just please introduce yourself tell us who you are
1: yeah sure so hi guys my name is temi um temi tope uh it's a nigerian name and it means god has done enough to pray to him mm. so as you can tell i am nigerian and i am a community youth worker at christchurch Roxeth at the moment in harrow
0: yeah i i don't know when i'm gonna release this so you might not be anymore Um, oh yes
1: yeah i'm actually transitioning into a new role Uh, i'll be moving to hackney soon well in a couple days
0: Ah. (laughs) oh what's your new role
1: uh so it's a young adults and youth pastor cool
0: yeah when we were talking before you said something about being a bible geek Can you please tell us a little bit more about what that is?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, a Bible geek, in my definition, is basically someone who just loves God's Word, but not just the Bible itself, but also studying the origins of the Bible and, and how it came to be, where it, you know where it derives its language from the original languages, so the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, and yeah. And someone also, I, I think for me, it's also about studying the kind of external sources as well. So, um, yeah, the different resources that help us to understand God's word better. I love that stuff.
0: So, you actually dig into all the different languages and what the root of the word is how the translation came about and all that kind of thing as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's super important, you know, um, yeah, there's that, there's that kind of phrases and it lost in translation, but, you know, I think for me, I just find it, um, really fascinating to see what words meant when they were used. And also I find it is quite honoring as well, um, to, to find out what, what, a Certain phrase axiom meant in its original languages. I mean, like when people ask me what my name is, I, I often like to share the description of the name in, in Yoruba, um, and so similarly, like it, it doesn't co- without me sharing that it wouldn't come across in the English. So, I think it's super important as much as possible to discover some of the original languages.
0: Mm, I think that's important as well and also um, sometimes names are also quite significant in, in the Hebrew as well yeah. um, and, and the different names of God as well. It's really cool actually yeah. and I think it helps us as well to be able to use these words and these different names of God um, because it gives us like a, a wider picture of God's character and we can use those in our daily prayer life so yeah definitely Hmm, definitely a cool thing and something something that I'd like to look into a little bit more as well
1: Mm.
0: yeah Yeah. so when you're talking about you know being a bible geek and using all these different type of resources uh, why do you do that and what kind of resources do you use
1: yeah it's a really good question um so for me the reason why i like to dig into the bible is uh, because the bible has a very interesting nature it's 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 a du- nature of duality and so what i mean by that is you know dual so two so there's two facets two major keys of scripture and one is that the bible is god's word so we often talk about the scriptures being inspired so meaning that God is the original author, and then God spoke the scriptures into existence, which is completely true. Uh, It means that the Bible has eternal relevance. You know, there's an authority to it. Um, Some people call it infallible, and this is all to do with the the idea that being that God is the sole author. So that's that's one hand, the Bible is God's word. But interestingly, on the other hand, the Bible is also human words or the word of man, because God chose specific people to inspire and speak through. And so we have this dual nature of the Bible, we have this tension, if you like, between the eternal relevance of it being God's word, and the historical particularity of it being man's word. And so because of that nature of hu- the human human nature of it, it's important that we we dig into things like genres and styles. So one of the most important a- aspects of the human side of the Bible is that it has different genres from narrative to genealogies to chronicles to laws, poetry, riddles and dramas and sketches and parables and sermons and apocalyptic l- literature. There's literally everything that you can find. Wow! But then on the other hand of the human side is that God spoke through culture and circumstances. You know, the Bible was written over around a 1,500 year period. And so in that time, you know, the culture of someone like Moses, it would have been very different to the culture of someone like um, Obadiah. Or the culture of Obadiah might be very different to the culture of um, Matthew. Or the culture of Matthew might have been very different to the culture of Jude and so that's very important for us to remember that when we come to the bible it is also something that is that has had culture and circumstances entwined into it and so it's very important then to do what i call um well not what i call but what <laughs> scholars call the task hermeneutics um which is essentially understanding what the text meant back there and back then and then being able to learn what that means for us here and now. Um, the way I like to think of it is like this. We have to get into the sandals of the ancient Hebrew people, the sandals of the Philippian church, the sandals of of the disciples when they were following Jesus up mountains and through valleys. We need to get into their sandals and breathe in the fresh air of Israel, breathe in the fresh air of the Roman culture and really dig ourselves into what they would have been experiencing. And once we do that, then we have to quickly go and find the time machine (laughs) and transport ourselves back to the 21st century and say, okay, we learned this and now this is how we can apply it. And so for me, that is one of the most exciting things to do is to really dig into the culture Um, of scripture and then be able to make practical applications to us today
0: Mm. so that is called hermeneutics did you say
1: hermeneutics sometimes people so sometimes people use hermeneutics to refer to the whole process but some people split it up into two words so exegesis which is basically um, understanding what the text meant um, before would be exegesis and then some people will say then hermeneutics is then understanding what the text means now but you can use those two words interchangeably um and usually hermeneutics encompasses that whole process as well
0: Hmm. so would you say that using different resources like study guides is the best way in order to do that um can we not just read and let the holy spirit guide us (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. That's kind of why I I thought for a long time because I especially um, for me it was it was an interesting question to wrestle with because I I felt very much so Holy Spirit led when I read the Bible. Um, right. So oftentimes I would open the Bible to whatever page I felt to read, and I would basically say, "Oh, this is what God is saying to me today." yeah but the issue with that is it's very similar to perhaps reading a fictional book and opening up to chapter seven and then reading chapter four and then reading chapter 12 and then reading chapter six and saying that is a cohesive way to understand the story you you Mm. know there are certain things that were building up they'll plot lines they were certain character development, character arcs that you would have missed. And similarly, the Bible is literature, the Bible is, is, it is, something that God has decided, God didn't decide to, you know, share his revelation for a movie, or he didn't decide to share it through, through some other form of media, but he chose, he chose the written word, the old, even though it was already transmitted at one point, he, he used words. And so anytime that happens, we need to honour the process that God himself sovereignly decided to use and that means that we need to approach the Bible using um, literary features and and techniques Um, and it's not that we make it, it's not necessarily that we make a science out of it, the Holy Spirit is still absolutely key to the whole process because the scriptures say themselves that to the unregenerated person or the person without um, being born again the scriptures are foolishness to them so where the Holy Spirit comes in is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness and the Holy Spirit remind, reminds us of God's work yet the Holy Spirit he still uses the means in which God decided to reveal to us in the first place and so this is why it's so important um, to to do it in this way and actually I found uh, even though at times it can feel maybe a bit mechanical and um even a bit cold at points it's it's actually the way in which we were able to come to a, a really strong robust understanding of who God is and not just the kind of emotions led Christianity not to say that emotions mm-hmm. are bad emotions are so important in our walk however we also need to allow our minds to be renewed, as it says in Romans 12. Mm,
0: I understand. Yeah, it does sound really, really important, especially if this is the Word of God, like capital W, Word of God, and it's like direct communication from God to us, then, you know, why don't we open the Word? Why don't we read the Bible? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely is something Yeah, really essential and a really good reminder as well. So in terms of using these resources, these literary guides that you were saying, these study guides, what happens if these resources are just written by, you know, the same person or the same type of people? Um, Does that impede in our understanding in any way? Does Does it affect it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so going back to the human element of scripture, so there... There is the side of the fact, there is a side that scripture was written during certain instances. For example, you know, the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to a church that was being called to, um, you know, undertake circumcision as a form of justification. Um, you know, Jude was written to Christians who were struggling with false teachers, who were telling them to basically indulge in the flesh you know so there's there's these cultural contexts that affect the way we read but equally we as readers are interpreting the bible through our own cultural lenses every person who reads is an interpreter no matter how objective you try to be all of us bring our understanding our experiences our culture and our prior understanding of words and ideas to the bible we you know we we think of words as how we would use them in our normal day so for example um, when paul says things like make no provision for the flesh and don't fulfill its lusts people in most english-speaking cultures will think oh he's talking about the body but Mm -hmm. we know that through study that the word flesh as paul uses it rarely refers to the body and most times it refers to a spiritual nature. And so without first doing the research of what the flesh would have meant in the Greek language that Paul was writing in, we would often interpret incorrectly. And so we are always thinking of things through the way that we understand it. And this translates to people who write our resources. So I often use a lot of Bible study um, guides, I use a lot of commentaries, I use a lot of Bible dictionaries and things like that, and surveys, Old Testament surveys, New Testament surveys. Um, but yeah, Jesse, you rightly said, if if that is written by one culture, and if I'm being honest, the main culture of what I've read so far, and, and the, the mass culture, the things that are promoted, the most are usually written, by men who are usually middle aged and of kind of a white ethnicity, and have studied at a certain seminary, usually in the United States or something. Mm. And so there's a oh, wow. very even the
0: same seminary. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's really it's a really <laughs> narrow, narrow um, kind of view. But I, you know, I I also want to say that this doesn't mean that. You know the, the the resources they write aren't trustworthy, or that they're um, you know that it's her- heretical or anything like that. I think uh, most of the books I've read from people that I've just described in that kind of um, demographic have been extremely helpful. The issue, however, is that they cannot, and it's not their fault. Um, it's no, it's, it's just how we are. We cannot divorce our experiences from how we interpret a situ- the text or the situation that we read in the Bible. It's just, it's just what we do. Um, and so in that vein, it's very important that we try as much as possible to tr- to attempt to read more widely. Um, we read from different, first of all, you know, people from different um, genders and people from different ethnicities, people from different social classes. You know, a rich person might struggle with some of te- Jesus's teachings about wealth and and you know how it, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Someone who is wealthy might, because they struggle with that, might interpret it in a way that may be less um, controversial than Jesus was intended. Uh, and so this is why we need to read from all types of people because we inherently. Every single person, every single person brings inherently who they are to the text. And the word, a good way to um, describe this is a a pre-understanding. Pre-understanding. So pre-understanding basically refers to our preconceived notions that we bring to the Bible. So that have been formulated. Some of them are conscious and some of them are subconsciously before we even pick up the Bible. So it refers to specific experiences, It includes everything that we might have heard in Sunday school or things like church or in Bible studies or even in our own private reading. It can also be influenced, our pre-understanding can be influenced by things like hymns and Christian music, pop songs, jokes, um, all of these things that are in our culture, they creep in into the way that we understand the Bible. And so it's important, you know, because there's many dangers that come with pre-understanding. Um, one of them is is pride. So, you know, if we're not careful, we can think we've already got the meaning because we may be sat in Sunday school all our life. But we need to we need to be humble, you know, because pride. Um, a quote from a, a guy called Van Huser, which I love. He he talks about. Saying that pride, in but reading the Bible, and he says, pride does not listen. Pride says it knows. Hmm. So, anytime we are not listening to the Bible, but we're saying we know what it means, we already exp- we feel that we know, then we're already indulging in the pride of pre-understanding. And so, any scholar, as much as great as they might be, as educated as they might be, any scholar is bringing a certain level of cultural baggage as they write their books um and so i encourage everyone who maybe would want to get into bible study but has maybe been put off by the fact that there's not many diverse scholarly voices i would encourage you to to look because there are great resources um yeah there are really great resources around
0: yeah i have a question about um what you said about scholarly voices um, but also talking about people from different backgrounds, wealthy and poorer and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, middle class, working class. And it makes me think like if people are scholars, then surely they're from a certain caliber of people. So how mm-hmm. can we um, amplify those voices where people maybe are not so literate? Like how do we hear from those type of people's interpretations as well?
1: Yeah, it, that's a really great question. Um, and I think there's a few things. One, one is the humility to ask. Mm. Um, oftentimes, again, because of our pre understanding, because of our education, we feel as though we have arrived at the perfect understanding of whatever we're reading. And so we often might not ask the common person, the common layman. We won't ask them what their opinion is because we feel that we've already got the right answer. And so we really need to carry ourselves with a level of humility. Um, We cannot allow pride to get in the way of knowing God. We need to be able to humbly acknowledge the possibilities that we might be in error. Yeah and so that is um a big part you know martin luther he he said this he said uh, there's a quote from him which i love he says the holy scriptures require a humble reader who shows reverence and fear towards the word of god and constantly says teach me teach me teach me Mm. and it reminds me of proverbs where it says if you cry out for understanding if you search for his insight so oftentimes going to going to people who may not be educated and asking them to to interpret something from their point of view like what how would you understand this part of the bible another way to do it i think for me is to actually empower and equip you know i completely agree to sometimes it feels as though to be a scholar you have to be of a certain wealth class because of how much school costs and um i think for us we you know the bible talks about it in ephesians it talks about the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and these amazing people with gifts, they were given to equip the saints for works of service and so the Christian should constantly be trying to equip others who may not have had the privilege to get the same experience or knowledge they have. We should always be on a lookout to disciple and to equip and to raise up others who, who may not be at a stage where they can maybe preach a three-point sermon but invite them to the bible study you know what does it mean to give people the opportunity um, Mm. to lead to to conduct something Mm. that is going to lead people into study and and so there's a level of risk there because we no we don't want anyone to kind of you know Mm. just say whatever they want out you know without study you know there's a level to which the people need to be accountable but we need to also remember that not everyone can afford the same privileges as one another
0: Mm, yeah I think you made a really good point about humility and not letting pride get in the way because I was just thinking about sometimes there are so familiar there are some really familiar passages of scripture and every time you hear it it's like oh you know I know what what that means but then when you hear a sermon about it there might be a different angle that you never considered yeah. So it's still really important to like not have that pride and think oh I already know what that means. So I was just wondering can you talk to us a little bit about contextualization?
1: Yeah, sure. Um so for me words words play the important part about context. So when when we when we look and read the Bible, um the moment a word or a sentence is written, it it often can detach itself from its origin origin sorry and you know it kind of we see it as this oh this is a it's a random word it you know we just take it at face value but you know that word has connotations in wherever it came from the culture um you know words words aren't just made out of nowhere they they have applications they have um, implications um mm-hmm. a guy called Walter Ong he said that we people are the most abject prisoners of the literary culture in which we have matured in. And so, even with the greatest effort, um, contemporary man finds it exceedingly difficult and, in many instances, quite impossible to sense what the spoken word actually is. And when we think about the Bible, the, the Bible. A guy called Eugene Peterson talks about we need to rediscover the soundness of the Bible because you know the, the original hearers of the Bible they would have they would have heard Scripture read out to them and as they're hearing it they aren't able just to take a word and and dissect it they're kind of receiving this word in the midst of whatever environment they're in whether um, you know whether they've got the, they've got to pay taxes to the Roman senate or whether they have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or whether they become a widow and they're looking for a, um, a kinsman redeemer to help their family you know that the people would have heard it in the culture and so when we talk about contextualization it, it it's about helping the hearer of the word to feel that they can find their place in the story of scripture, that actually they aren't disqualified from knowing God or the principles of God, but they are able to enter in into the story because there is something for them. And so this is why we need various voices in the evangelical world to help us understand um, the Bible. I recently um, came across um, some commentaries, which I found, I thought they were incredible, um, that they were created. And one's called the Africa Bible Commentary. And it's a, it's a one volume commentary written by 70 African scholars. And it's essentially to meet the needs of African pastors, students and lay readers. However, I would encourage every person to read it because it, it then it awakens you. And it kind of brings you back to that place of humility because you see that actually this story, which I've read so for so long in the same way, can mean can can be applied so differently to someone across the world for me. Um, another resource like this was is um, the South Asia Bible Commentary, which is uh, similarly again it was contextualized for for South Asians. But again, I think it it is it is something that can be used by anyone. The general editor for that is called William, um, sorry Brian Wintle, not William. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah there's many things out there like there's one uh, another but there's something called the Africana Bible Um, general editor was a guy called Hugh Page but the author is Wilder Gaffney and again it's a volume that gathers the multicultural and interdisciplinary perspectives of every book of the Bible and it opens a critical window in which people predominantly on the African continent um, can understand and so the fact that there are scholars out there who are doing this type of work just demonstrates mm. to you the need, the need to contextualize and um, the application. And um, the last point I'll make on this, Jesse, I think is there's there's a difference between the principle or the meaning of a passage and the application. All right. And when we talk about contextualization, we're not saying that we're trying to change the nature of God or they're trying to change fundamental beliefs of christianity like the trinity or god's sovereignty we're yeah. we're not that's not what contextualization is contextualization is taking a principle something that god has asked us to do for example commandment uh, a belief and is saying how does this live out in our culture so when paul will say something like bear with one another in love and do not give up meeting together you know, meeting together looks very different from an urban inner city London church to a village fellowship in the middle of Rangapara in Bangladesh. It, you know, and so it's taking a principle, a belief and shaping that so that the people who hear it are empowered to live out God's word.
0: Hmm. That makes sense. It does make me wonder about people who go to Bible college, maybe from a non-Western background, but then if they are learning things from Western, uh, Western lens, you know, theology, mm-hmm. which have been written by Western scholars, then what would happen? Like, would they take that back to their churches and then preach from, you know, from the mm. wrong kind of cultural lens? Uh, yeah. yeah, it does make me wonder what happens in those scenarios.
1: Yeah, same. And I, 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 my hope is that. My hope is that academic institutions would be more changed than as changed. Sorry, as the student leaving it, I would hope that the student coming in from perhaps um, a non-majority culture. Would, would learn some of the great principles that some of these academics have to offer. But I would hope that academic institutions would also well, change their reading list and their resources based mm-hmm. on who's coming in as well. There needs to be a two-way approach to it. Otherwise, what you have is that one person remains remains the power holder. They remain the person who holds the interpretation. And this is one of the reasons why there was a reformation in, in the in the history of the church, because at one point it was seen as though, you know, only the, the clergy, only the people who were in positions, um, high positions in the church, held interpretation. And everyone else had to basically take whatever was given. And there was no empowerment. There was no, there was, you know, all the principles of the New Testament that we see, you know, God saying that he's near to those who, you call on him, God saying that we should draw boldly to his throne. All of that is thrown out the window. And so if we're not careful, what we can do with academic institutions is that we can say, hey, you're coming to us to learn God. And whatever we teach you is the case and you have nothing to teach us. Whereas it should be kind of how Paul talks about his relationship with the Romans in Romans one, he says that he longs to see them. Why? So that they can be mutual. And that's mm. the key word, mutual encouragement. You know, Paul is this incredible man who studied under, you know, one of the best scholars in the Sanhedrin. And, you know, he calls himself, uh, you know, when he starts telling his list and he says, you know, he's he's someone who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he, he Paul is this great man who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And he still was able to humbly say, that he longs to see these Christians in Rome because there's going to be mutual encouragement. And this is what the aim should be, that we learn from cultures, we adapt, we're willing and ready to change our expression of worship even, our expression of of the way we commune with one another, where we're ready to change our liturgy and the words we use to to encompass the wide, complex range of human cultures.
0: I love that. That is quote worthy. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, amazing. You've made it on my podcast now.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy. I was, I was waiting for the tick. <laughs> the verification <Yeah>. tick. <laughs> it came
0: just right before the end. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but it's really good to know actually that there are resources out there. That there are you know South Asians and Africans and different kinds of yeah. people, male and females, who do do this kind of work. And this Mm -hmm. important work as well and it's just for us to be aware of that and actually use these resources and like you said um change the reading lists in bible colleges Mm -hmm. Uh, and for us as well to read outside what we're used to and that's a very big thing it's a big thing that i'm trying to do myself when it comes to even like fiction um and other christian books yeah um yeah so we're going to come to a close now um, is there anything, lastly, that you'd like to share before we move on to talking about some books?
1: Um, no, let's talk about some books. I love talking yeah. about books.
0: <laughs> so if, yes, I know you like reading.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So what kind of books have you been reading? Is there anything in particular that you'd like to recommend to our listeners today?
1: Yeah, sure. So we've been talking a lot about um, Bible interpretation um and so i think some great books out there um one is eugene peterson um he's the author of a book called eat this book great title eat this book <laughs> um but essentially he talks about the art of spiritual reading and and um, for me this is one of the most challenging books i've read in a long time because uh eugene peterson um isn't so much focus or concentrated on you know analyzing and dissecting words he's more interested in rediscovering things like uh, lectio divinia which is a spiritual reading how do we hear god again through the text so that's a great one to look at um okay another book to read is one called uh women of the word by a lady called jen wilkin and um don't let the title fool you men. Um, this is an incredible book. Um, and she should, i I think she should have called it people of the word because it literally mm. is incredible and everyone needs to read it. <laughs> um, I, there's a also in, in terms of studying the word and the Bible. So uh, as a black man myself, I've often tried to look around for, um, theological works by black theologians pastors and scholars and Mm. there is an incredible website called um the witness bcc.com um so it's the the witness bcc.com and they they have some incredible articles um and resources uh, from from different theologians and they've actually got Um, A whole section where they have some great stuff Um, so one of which what a Bible commentary to look at is one called true to our native land Um, and it's an african-american New Testament commentary by a guy called Brian K Blount Um, and yeah they just have a list of so many other things there and um, lastly I would say you know go on a search um, I remember one time I realized, oh, all the books I read are by, you know, men who were usually white and middle-aged. And I was like, okay, I'm okay. I'm literally just gonna search in Google. Thank God for Google. Uh, I'm gonna search in Google, um, Asian, fe- so female Asian theologians, and mm-hmm. I came across a list which was incredibly comprehensive of these incredible names, and I thought, wow. Like, that didn't take long. It literally took me less than a minute. And in that search, I was able to come across so so many different readers. And of course, we have to be careful that, you know, we make sure that we read um, the bios or, you know, the Wikipedia pages of the authors to make sure that, you know, or at least understand where they're coming from. We're not always going to agree with people's stance and doctrine, but it's good to do the research. But um, yeah, I encourage you, whoever's listening to this, that, yeah, take the time to, to just break your kind of social bubble your echo chamber and um yeah try to read widely and enjoy it
0: thank you thanks so much i'm definitely gonna take all of those things on board and the and the um, resources that you mentioned and the books it will be in the show notes for this episode as well yeah all right well thanks so much temi for your time thank you so much for being here for sharing all your words of wisdom um, yeah, I'll see you soon.
1: Yeah, take care. Thanks for having me.